Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I know you. I know you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that's what you told me? It's time, Rob! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and today I have with me Michael Schwartz. Happy holidays, everyone. Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. And Will Mavity. Hey guys, Happy New Year. Kind of. Almost there, almost there. Uh, Right now we are celebrating for this week the holidays. Hanukkah and Christmas fell on the, well, almost about the same day this year. Uh, Christmas Eve on Saturday, Hanukkah, yada, yada, yada. We're still in it technically right now for the most part. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, the time between Christmas and New Year, I always treat it as a vacation in and of itself. I take off from work. I catch up on any films I missed so far in 2016. Or in this case, 2016, the year, the year itself, essentially, and I do the best that I can to just binge watch a marathon through as much as I possibly can. Um, I just finished watching Indignation and The Fits, and I still have on my list here quite a bit. I have OJ Made in America. I need to sit down and watch Crescia, The Handmaiden. Um, what else? Uh, the Hunt for the Wilder People, Train to Busan. Uh, there's a uh, um, other people. Other people, yep. Girl with all the gifts. Done, uh, don't think twice yet, too. I I saw Don't Think Twice uh, this year. I liked That's it. That's great. That's a great movie. And Christine, definitely Christine. Yep, Christine's on the list as well. So I have a lot to do, <laughs> uh, along with seeing other films this week as well, such as Live by Night, Hidden Figures. I'm going to try and get to see Tony Erdman as as well. So yeah, this is a very very jam packed week for myself. Uh, there'll be a lot of reviews coming to nextbestpicture.com. Uh, but with that said, really quick, let's just start off the conversation pretty light here, and let's just throw it out there for everyone. Uh, what did everybody see this week? Anything good with their families or anything they watched at home? I saw Jackie, and I saw Rogue One a little bit later than the rest of the world. <laughs> but you, you liked it, though, right? Ish enough um it's you know it's 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 a pretty well put together film i don't think it's a sci-fi masterpiece or anything but it's uh it's a, it's, it's a decent star wars film you know mm-hmm. i uh i listened to you guys's podcast on it completely understand criticisms and we'll talk about jackie more but i think in some ways it was more creatively daring than 
Force Awakens, so while I may have enjoyed Force Awakens more as a film, I do give this some props for trying to go out in its own directions. Yeah. What about you, Michael? So I saw other people on Netflix, which was uh, well done. I mean, it's a sort of minor movie, but it's very well acted. Not just Molly Shannon, but Jesse Plemons, too, gives a great performance. Mm. He's great. He's uh, very underrated. Yeah, so th- that was a enjoyable movie. I'm glad I watched that at, at home. Nice. I saw Miss Stevens on Netflix, which is a really underrated indie that came out this year. A uh, very interesting premise. It's about the relationships that students forge with the teacher outside of a classroom setting and how there are these boundaries that could be set up. Uh, but it was a very cute movie, very good performance from Lily Robb, who uh, I'd like to see on some more year-end lists. She was really good uh, not an Oscar contender in the lead actress category, but just give a very good performance there. And then yesterday, I went to the movies on Christmas to see Fences and Lion, and 25 minutes into my Fences screening, the entire theater lost power, and we all had to be evacuated. Oh, that sucks. So, yes, I'm hoping to get back either tonight or tomorrow, because, boy, was I captivated by those first 25 minutes. Just Denzel, Viola, and... uh, Stephen Henderson, just masterclass in acting from what I saw. Yeah, yeah. And then Lion was a uh, Lion was good. I didn't like it as much as everyone else seems to, but it was a great performance from Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. Uh, very emotional by the end. It's very well done, and I think it'll be an Oscar player. Definitely. What about you, Kristen? Um, I did go see Fences uh, last week uh, on Monday, and we'll talk about that when we do the episode on it. Um, I made all my friends get up super duper early and we went and saw the first showing of Assassin's Creed on Wednesday. Um, Tell me. <laughs> and maybe, maybe because I have been very offbeat this year, not liking movies that everybody else has liked and liking things that everybody's hated. Um, I had very low expectations for that. Like I was waiting for a two hour train wreck and I, we left the theater and I said, well, that's probably the best video game movie I've seen. Um, and that's that's damned with faint praise um, right there. But I had fun with it. We, we enjoyed it. We were the only people in the theater, so we kind of got to lampoon it a little bit. Um, it looks... I thought there were some, the, some beautiful imagery because there's a lot of old architecture that they utilize. Um, I enjoyed it. Jeremy Irons rocks the hell out of a cape at the end. It looks like the end of Eyes Wide Shut, which just leads to a a thoughts on a better movie. (laughs) But um, I had had a lot of fun with it. Um, And then last night, I finally watched my screener of The Dressmaker um, with Kate Winslet. And that was really good. It's weird as hell because it's Australian, um, so th- which everybody should be like, oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so there's, like, beautiful fashion and a body count, which I did not anticipate. Uh, really, really fun movie. So overall, I, I had a pretty good week at the movies. <laughs> Can I just say, on, on Assassin's Creed, I would just want to put out, I think, for Next Best Picture, does anyone else agree with me that the first three Resident Evil films are kind of underrated? The first, I've only seen the first one. The first one, I think, is is good. It's fine. They're just shitty popcorn films, but yeah. I'm biased. They were the first R movies I ever saw in the theater, so they have kind of a nostalgia with me. But I, I, I have a soft spot for the first three. Does Matt, do you feel that at all? No, but I will say this. I think that Resident Evil Apocalypse, uh, the last film, or no, not Apocalypse. Uh, Extinction was the third one. No, the... 
the 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 one that's coming out. What's what is it called? The final chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final yeah, chapter. I have this feeling based upon the marketing that it's going to be so dumb that it is fun in a way that uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise was able to kind of embrace a little bit in its uh, turn in its series. So something tells me that this last film is going to be just so much fun. But I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I mean, it's an awful trailer. Like, there's no <laughs> really bad. I don't know, man. That Guns N' Roses track kind of does it for oh, me a little God. bit. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Um, with that said, I too saw Assassin's Creed this week. And I do agree it's probably the best video game movie I have ever seen. Um, it also stands as the most unique experience I think I had this year in the theater, where I actually fell asleep for the first 20 minutes. And needed me to explain everything that happened to you after the fact. Yep, Kristen was able to <laughs> fill me in on all the plot elements. I woke up in the middle of a daring uh, chase sequence, which was riveting. Um I think that chase sequence actually is what woke me up from my sleep. But in any event, though, um, I was very, very tired. I was supposed to go to a showing that was supposed to be three hours earlier, and I was at the last showing of the evening. And I was working on, I think, three hours of sleep from the previous night. So, yeah, I was I was pretty out of it. Uh, but in any event, though, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, what else did I see? I had a, I had a very jam-packed week. Um, because I had gotten three hours of sleep the night before, that previous evening I had seen Passengers, which I uh, already reviewed with Sarah Buttery from sarasawmovie.com here on the Next Best Picture podcast. And my thoughts on that have not changed. It is terrible. And I also saw uh, Patriot's Day, which is one of my favorite films of the year. And I think that it is a film that should be in the conversation a little bit more, but at the end of the day, I'm surpri- I'm not surprised that it's not. Um, I think at least the sound editing and sound mixing will get nominated. Uh, that is my hunch right now because there are some scenes in this movie where the sound is just like so, 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 so realistic and so, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Visceral. Can I ask what you think happened to Patriot's Day in Oscar season? Because it got good reviews. Too late. It started... Too late? Too late. Simple as that. Too late. Um, I, I truthfully and honestly believe that. It's um, the only film that's a late breaker that is going to make an impact, I think, are um, Hidden Figures and Silence. Do you think had it opened in Deepwater Horizons weekend, it would have built up momentum and would have been getting some of those Hacksaw Ridge votes? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I totally agree with that. Um, I think that it is... Um, a film that has actually less flaws than Hacksaw Ridge does. Um, it, it, it's, how do I say this? Um, the, my only, my only complaints about the movie is that it can be a little too sentimental at times. Um, you know, Peter Berg really does lay on the patriotism a little too thick at times, uh, which I'm sure will not be a problem for many people. <laughs> And then the other issue I have with the movie is that even though he's good in the role, um, Mark Wahlberg is written into many scenes in that movie where it's like, why does he need to be here? Um, like, I, I just, you could totally tell that because they wanted a star in this role, um, or they always knew they were going to have Mark Wahlberg be involved to begin with, they just needed to find a way to make him uh, the lead as opposed to maybe just another supporting player in the film. So... 
Uh, but that's it. I mean, I, I got no other complaints than that. I think it's really well paced. I think that it's uh, a very fitting tribute. I think that it is powerful and very emotional. I had a blast with it. So I can't wait for you guys to see it. And then moving on to uh, the last two films that I saw. Um, if there's any film this year that I absolutely, I will put at my top number one spot that I think it should be uh, more heavily considered for this year's Oscar season, it is Monster Calls. God, did that movie wreck me. I was a mess by the end of this one. And I loved every single second of it. Truly, I did. I'm, I'm really pissed off that it's actually left off the visual effects shortlist, truth be told. How's Sigourney Weaver? Sigourney Weaver is uh, fine. She's not She's not the the focus. The, the, the kid, Louis McDougal, is a revelation. Um, I think that he's better than Lucas Hedges in Manchester by the Sea as far as youth performances go this year. Wow. There have been a lot of really good youth performances, though, this year. There was him, uh, Alex Hibbert in Moonlight, uh, Lucas Hedges, like we mentioned, and just a lot that come after that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so take that for what you will. I mean, I think he is absolutely outstanding in the, in the film. And then the big one uh, for me, uh, I saw Silence. Oh, that little movie. Yep. And it is unlike any other Martin Scorsese film that you probably have ever seen. Uh, unless if you have seen Kundun and Last Temptation of Christ, you know then which mode he's in, and he's in that mode. So anybody that's only ever seen, you know, Goodfellas, Casino, Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, these are the ones that the typical average, you know, person has seen, and they know of Scorsese due to this. They're going to be very taken aback by the, his directing style in this film, which is very contemplative, extremely... Uh, I don't want to say slow pace like it's a negative thing uh, because there are so many themes in this film and so many questions and so much provocative uh, imagery and thoughts that it needs the time for your brain to process them. And it, get, and it, gives, you, it gives you that. So I also think Andrew Garfield is better in silence than he is in Hacksaw Ridge. But once again, because it's a late breaker and Hacksaw Ridge has had a chance to be seen by more people. Um, that's the film that's going to get him the nomination. But he is better here than I think he is in Hacksaw. Although, yes, um, the accent in Silence is just as problematic as it is in Hacksaw. What about uh, Izzy Ogata and uh, Liam Neeson? So both of them, in my opinion, need one more scene to seal the deal for me in terms of me being very sure. I... I still feel that one of them, it's going to be one of them, will crack the supporting actor five lineup. I, at this point, don't know which one. I say this because Liam Neeson, I think for much as people have been writing him off in these last couple of weeks, I think he is very memorable in the role. And I think that he does the role very, very well. But it is due to lack of screen time. Issy Ogata... I actually was surprised. I thought he would have more screen time. Instead, I think he's only in like five scenes maybe in the whole movie. So uh, I thought there would be more and I wanted more. I thought he was fantastic for what it was that he was doing. Um, But I I did feel a little slightly underwhelmed by that as well. Do I think that one of them will get in still? Yes. Uh, Which one? 
I don't know. I mean, Liam Neeson could get in due to name recognition and industry respect. Ogata is probably the more flashier performance of the two, so maybe that gets in, but I I honestly don't know. All right, well, we'll have to look for that one. Yeah. All righty. And with that said, then, uh, now that we've just blown through uh, our, our past week or so of uh, binge watching and more to come, for sure, let's head over into some other news this week. Uh, the makeup shortlist was revealed. And boy, oh boy, was it not what we were expecting. <laughs> this is I think it wasn't insane. what we were ex- in- expecting in terms of films that were left off. But there were some titles in there that uh, I'd been keeping an eye on for a few months now. But the films that they left off could have been the three nominated films on their own. Jackie, Hacksaw Ridge, and Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. I was expecting there to be a big snub because this branch, more than any other branch of the Academy, loves to take a look at everyone's predictions and then basically laugh in their faces every single year. Frontrunners don't even make it past the shortlist. If you think about Black Swan or Cloud Atlas uh, in just recent years, I mean, there's uh, 12 Years a Slave, you know, there's always the, Lee Daniels the butler, things that just don't make it when you think they will. So I was expecting a shocking snub, but I thought Hacksaw, and they also love to snub Star Wars. You know, you've only had one of the last four Star Wars films make the shortlist. I thought Hacksaw and Jackie at least would make a showing here. I don't. I think this this branch is one of the few that really is not swayed by how much they like a film overall. They truly just care about how good the makeup was. And in some ways, that's admirable. You had Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters make the list a few years back. The makeup was apparently good. They nominated Jackass Bad Grandpa, so more power to them. But this is one of my favorite parts of every awards season, just seeing what the hell is going to miss, you know? Uh, yeah, I do know, but it's also infuriating at the same time. Um, Jackie's the Critics' Choice winner for this category. I mean, how is it not here? I still can't believe it won there. I, I don't like the makeup in Jackie, and I'm actually very glad I missed the shortlist. Aww. I found the hairstyling and the wigs so distracting. Did you? Yeah. They seem pretty authentic to me. Oh, I, it kept looking like it was going to fall off, <laughs> at least for me. And then you have the prosthetic work on JFK's destroyed face. I mean, like, there, it, it seemed like a viable, if subtle, contender. Well, Hacksaw Ridge, I think, is definitely the big snub. Um, I think at one point, didn't we all have it predicted to win? Yeah. And if not to win, I, I thought it would at least... I mean, every Gibson film except for Man Without a Face has been nominated for Best Makeup. Yeah. And this was a very showy bit of makeup. Just so many severed limbs and, you know, scarred faces. It seemed like a shoe-in. They love war films in this category, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that said, the shortlisted films, 10 of which remain, are Deadpool, Michael's favorite, huh. The Dressmaker, Kristen's favorite, Florence Foster Jenkins, Ew. Hail Caesar, Yay! A Man Called Ove, Star Trek Beyond, and Suicide Squad. Blah. As I said, they don't care about quality. Oh my I'm, God. I'm sure the makeup in Suicide Squad was good. It is. The Joker and the Killer Croc are solid bits of prosthetic. Hold on, wait a minute. Killer Croc is not CGI? 
I so I I've seen mixed things on Twitter. I have heard that there is prosthetics work on his face as well. Hmm. So who knows? Well, Margot Robbie also is uh, part of that equation as well. So she spends most of that movie in wet. I went to a rave and I woke up and my makeup just ended like this on my face face for the entire movie. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. True. I mean, when she's put together, it's fine. But the makeup she has for the, like, 90% of that movie is just, like, that's that's Drunk Girl 101. I'm sorry. <laughs> so in terms of what's going to win, not all three nominees, one film stands out here to me that I think will easily take this. Oh, I, Are we going to groan because we know it's a I, Schwartz film? Yeah. It is a, I, I think Florence Foster Jenkins is going to win here. Yep, I knew you were going to say yep. that. Totally, but, totally predicted. Think that. about it. It's not just the makeup, which the Meryl Streep they age her a little bit, make her look a little frumpy, but the hair too. And you don't just have it on her, but Hugh Grant and some of these characters in the audience. And that's also a film that I think will be a Best Picture nominee, which gives it a bit of a boost here. It's typical English period piece stuff for me. I mean, it it wasn't anything I didn't think I'd seen in countless other British period pieces i mean it's it's fine but it, you'd have to go Just back and read what ampus as a whole will do the telling sign will be if it gets a best picture nomination which i am not predicting it for if it gets a best picture nomination i think you're right michael if i fit but if it does not get enough broad support with the academy to get more than maybe hugh grant and meryl streep in then i think star trek beyond takes it because when there's not a best picture in play then the academy does just vote for what's the flashiest look at 2010 with the poorly reviewed Wolfman remake winning the Oscar. You know, there's also a history of awarding Star Trek's makeup artists. So, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I think it gets a nomination and it could get a win if like something falls out. I'm not going to totally rule it out at the moment, but I mean, Florence does stick out in a way as the prestige title and back when the Wolfman won and when Star Trek won, there wasn't really that prestige title in the mix. So when you have the entire Academy voting, sometimes they may just check off the movie that goes with the rest of the nominations. Well, and that's the case. I have, as my three, Flores Foster Jenkins, Star Trek Beyond, and A Man Called Ove. Yeah, A Man Called Ove could definitely get in there. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, I saw Tapley talking about this on Twitter. Apparently, the makeup, though, in A Man Called Oof is very, very subtle, which, you know, the, the mysterious foreign film that makes the shortlist can go either way, because people are citing a hundred-year-old man who climbed out a window and disappeared in Il Devo. And it's from the same people. As it's the same guy from Hundred-Year-Old Man. And then you have Il Devo back in 2009, too. But you also have, I remember in 2011, Gainsbourg, A Heroic Life, shockingly made the shortlist over a lot of more predicted films and people thought okay it's made it this far it's getting in you know it had all these hallucinations of uh you know intense prosthetics for these anti-semitic caricatures that the character dealt with and then it did not get in so i think these foreign contenders can go either way i don't think a man called oove is really going to be you know it's really going to be a show-off film on the bake-off 10-minute reel on how they did the makeup. Subtle makeup gets past the bake-off reel if, like with Dallas Buyers Club, during the bake-off, they can be like, oh, by the way, our makeup budget was only $200. You know, that was impressive. But in a case like this, if they just show 
some basic hairstyling, which I have yet to see the film, so maybe I'm wrong, but from what I saw on Twitter discussed, it seems like that's about the extent of the, the hairstyling and makeup. I don't see it really impressing at the bake-off, and given how the, the, the film is not a major contender overall, I don't think that's enough to get it in. I must say that I've heard from a lot of people who have seen it, audience members, who are just raving it. It is the highest grossing foreign film of the year domestically. And it played for a while in my local art house theater. Foreign films usually only stay a week or so there, and this played for well over a month. So it's really bringing out the audiences. It's based on a well-known book. And if there is a film that upsets Tony Erdman in the foreign language race, this could be it. And we should always remember, it, with the exception of last year, I don't think I've ever seen a pundit go three for free in predicting this category. I'm going to say, weirdly enough, that Deadpool gets in there as number three. You know, so you, you do, when there are not many Best Picture contenders in play, tend to have blockbusters show up. So I am thinking Florence, Star Trek Beyond, and Deadpool. Deadpool has good scar work. It's, it's just amazing to me that with all of the different selections that we have from uh, over the year, that this in many ways is becoming kind of like the category to reward blockbuster films, much like visual effects is right now um, with Suicide Squad, Star Trek Beyond, and also Deadpool making the cut here. Um, not to say that it will get into the uh, Oscar three, but it, it it's still it, it's it's pretty amazing to me because I would never in my wildest dreams ever have expected Suicide Squad, of all things, to get anywhere near um, the Oscars. And yet, here we are. But then again, <laughs> Norbert, so... And, uh, Norbert, that's actually a good nom. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know, but still, it's a crappy movie. movie. But they did great prosthetic work there. The bottom line is, I mean, makeup and hairstyling branches and the visual effects branch really don't care if your film's good. Batman and Robin, I believe, made both lists back in 97. I mean... At the end of the day, for, these guys are tech professionals. They're craft professionals. And I, I suspect a lot of the voters in these branches are less snobby and choosy, maybe, than some are in the bigger branches. And if they like the craft work, they're going to honor the craft work, regardless of how good the film is as a whole. Yeah. Hey, guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host, Brendan, and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Well, moving on from that subject then, uh, let's move over to uh, some fan questions. Uh, let's also take this opportunity to not only answer uh, your questions, but also we're going to ask ourselves some questions here. I definitely wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some of our predictions. I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of our wild speculations that we're thinking about right now. Uh, we're coming now to the point where we have seen a lot of these films for context. So let's dive into some of these questions 
questions here from our fans. Roger C. F. R. asks, is Hell or High Water now a lock with the big three, the big three being La La Land, Moonlight, and Manchester by the Sea for a nomination? What do you guys think? Do you think Hell or High Water makes it into Best Picture or not? I do. Absolutely. After what we've seen with Golden Globes and some of these uh, Critics Awards, I think it definitely has the support that it needs to get in. Yeah, I don't think it's a lock, but I think it's an extremely likely nominee. I, I, I can't say anything until we see the rest of the guilds as a lock, but I very much predict it getting in at, along with Bridges and its screenplay. And I actually think there's a decent chance that it gets in for editing as well, and maybe even David McKenzie. Yeah. Yeah, I have it. I have it as a, a picture. It's low on my list. I think it's like an eight or a nine, but I have it, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think enough people like it and they've seen it at this point that it's sticking in people's minds. I want to point out that other than Moonlight, La La Land, and Manchester by the Sea, Hell or High Water is the only film amongst critics groups so far to win more than one Best Picture award. Um, so take that for what you will. Uh, David McKenzie as well. Uh, two Best Director wins from critics groups alongside uh, Kenneth Lonergan, Barry Jenkins, and Damien Chazelle. So there definitely seems to be a consensus here that Hell or High Water is one of the best films of the year. And a lot of people now are really starting to take it extremely seriously. Um, Will, you were mentioning before about it possibly showing up in other categories. Um my question about Hell or High Water isn't necessarily David McKenzie, who I definitely think is in the conversation. I think it's more so around Ben Foster. Could we be looking at a potential surprise nomination still for Ben Foster? Because he may not have popped up at Critics' Choice or at SAG or uh, with Golden Globe. He did get Critics' Choice. Never mind. He did get Critics' Choice. Good call. Um, but he, you know, this definitely seems to be the, the nod that seems to be coming Bridges' way. So what do we think here about this possibility? I think that fifth slot in supporting actor could go a lot of ways. You know, Lucas Hedges definitely can get nominated, particularly if they really like Manchester. But I think... It is still kind of an open slot, and maybe this is the same thing people were saying about Robert Duvall with the judge, and then he still gets in easily. But yeah, I think there is a world where Foster gets in. I think he gets in alongside Bridges instead of a departed situation getting in over Bridges, but I could easily see him getting in just as I could see one of the two silence guys getting in. I don't think there is a going to be a replica or duplicate of the SAG supporting actor lineup here. I think somebody's going to drop out and it may be Lucas Hedges. Do you have Ben Foster taking his place or do you have somebody else just in case? I actually have Kevin Costner taking his place. I still do not believe you. Uh... No, 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 no. So for for context, people, uh, Michael and I had a very, very big fight about this off air. uh, And I am so so adamant that this is not happening. Kristen. Yes. You've seen the movie. What do you think? Um, I can see it happening if they want God to. God damn include. it. <laughs> I can see it happening. I mean, there's a world where anything can happen. I can see it, but um, I don't think it will happen because I, it, the only way I could see them doing it is if they absolutely, positively needed to have a male 
from that film nominated, and he's the biggest name. I don't think the role is big enough and necessary enough for it to warrant a nomination, but if they feel like we gotta have a guy in there, then yeah, they could. But I feel like his performance is the type that gets in because someone really likes a film overall. And I think that would have happened at SAG because they clearly liked Hidden Figures. They all saw it in time. It got a SAG Ensemble nomination. What's the reason he didn't get in there? And the people who usually surprise without a SAG nomination are those really those performances that are just either really late-breaking or they're particularly the ones that are just really passionate among a few people that get a certain number of high rankings on the ballots and get in. You know, these are the, the Jonah Hills and the Wolf of Wall Streets of the world. Um, I don't really see that with Kevin Costner, where it's more the kind of nomination, oh, he's a veteran and we generally like him and we like the film, he'll get in. And you could say Jackie Weaver's the closest example, but Silver Linings Playbook was a top three or four contender for Best Picture that year, so she got in because they truly adored that film. Whereas you're not getting that same kind of passion with Hidden Figures. People like it, but it's no one's talking about it like it's one of the top films to w- likely win Best Picture, which would be the Jackie Weaver Silver Linings Playbook scenario. I don't really see a world where he gets in now that he's missed SAG. You know what? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think I just want to stick with it and see it. if it happens, I'll be able to say I called it. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but... I don't know, something in my gut just says this may happen. If he does not make BAFTA, and let's just hypothetically say another outlier like um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Simon Helberg, if somebody gets like the, the, the two, two mentions um, from either Golden Globe with those two or Ben Foster, Critics' Choice, and then he also gets BAFTA, let's say, I would put money on whoever gets mentioned in both categories, personally. Yeah, I could see Simon Helberg. Well, no, I'm not adding anything more to Florence Foster Jenkins' nomination total. There's no way I'm getting into double-digit territory with this. How many do you have it at right now? Um, I currently have it with Streep, Grant, Costumes, Makeup, and I think that's it right now. Score and Best Picture are next. All right, I, I have it at about seven to nine, I think. Yeah, no way it gets that high. What? Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. That, uh, Mike, come on. What, what? The Revenant is a film that gets like high nominations like that. Florence Foster Jenkins, you're, you're definitely over, no, no, overperforming I'll tell you what it. I have it in. I have it in Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor for Hugh Grant, not Simon Helberg at the moment. Best uh, Adapted Screenplay is a possibility. I don't have it as a nomination, but sort of in the mix there. Okay, so still three. I'm sorry, original screenplay, not adapted. Regardless, still three nominations. Yeah, still three, okay. Uh, Best Score. Best Makeup and Hairstyling. How many is that right now? Five. Five. Okay, so five is what I'm predicting at the moment. You don't have it in costumes? Oh, I'm sorry, costumes also. So six. I skipped a category. And then, uh, yeah, so six predicted nominations, but then the outliers would be production design, like uh, screenplay, as we said, possibly Hellberg. 
That, there's no more. There's literally no more I can get into other than that. That's literally nine nominations at that point. Don't you dare say best director. No, I don't think it's getting Stephen Frears. I absolutely don't think that's happening. But even the fact that you think it's getting into all these other ones is completely crazy to me. I, I, I you per- break it down branch by branch. It's not like they're saying, oh, let's give it nine. No, 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 no. I understand that. But what I'm also getting at here is this. I still don't think the Best Picture nomination is happening. Why don't you think that's happening? It doesn't have – it's not as an emotional a film as Philomena, which – is, is a prime example here. I don't believe it's as well-reviewed as Philomena either. It also opened much earlier than Philomena. Um, why would it get into Best Picture? There is a specific subgroup of Academy voters who it's going to appeal to, but it isn't necessarily the type of film that makes them that group cry. Which you know is the- when you watch it with your family over the holidays, these Academy voters who go to Telluride or Aspen or wherever it is they go, I think it's one of those titles that is going to hit with the family in such a way that people are just going to want to mark it down all over the place. I have it over Arrival. I have it over Loving, Silence, Jackie. I think this is going to be a film that they mark off. I want to point this out. All right, If you're telling me it's targeting a certain niche audience that is going to mark it down as number one, remember, number one, and it has to do this on not just 100, not just 200, but it needs to do this on a couple of hundred. Of ballots in order to make this happen. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. I can't Isn't do the math. Isn't it like 300? Uh, more than that. It's a little bit more. But it is But it is around that ballpark. Okay, out of s- over 6,000 voters. But here's what I'm getting at here. The type of person that this movie speaks to, right? What other films are they considering? And as a result... You got you, you got you got to play devil's advocate in the sense of like we know what the three definites are. The three definites are Manchester by the Sea, La La Land, and Moonlight. After that, we know that there's two more guaranteed spots, and then after that, it's whatever films were able to get that 300 votes. So if you're the type of voter that is possibly thinking Flores Foster Jenkins, but you also like Loving, you also like Sully, you also like Hidden Figures, how much do these votes get divided up amongst each other as number one votes? And then some films end up falling out as a result. You can't have all four make it. I don't think you can have all three. I think you only get two at the okay, end of the so day. Out of the titles that you just mentioned, what was it? It was Loving... Lawrence Foster Jenkins, Sully, and Hidden Figures. Yeah, I think I think Sully and Hidden Figures stand the best chance. Okay, I I mean I have Lawrence Foster Jenkins, Hidden Figures, and Sully in the ten right now. If one of them, <laughs> but we're not going to have ten nominees either. So there's that. It's not going to be ten. It'll most likely be eight, as we've seen in recent years. So if one of those films is to get bumped out of the ten to make it an eight, at the moment. I think it's going to be Sully that misses. Yeah, because if Sully can't get Hanks in, there's no way the film gets in. Leaving the eight with the... Of the two films that we just mentioned, I think it's going to be Florence Foster Jenkins and Hidden Figures for that niche that we mentioned. Okay. That, that's just where I am. It could change. I could be totally wrong here. But that's just what I'm sensing. Which leads then to the uh, next question which we received from Sam Coffey. Hello, Sam. We all know Sam. Uh, what refinements would you make to the Oscar voting process? And this plays obviously a bit into what we were just talking about with the preferential ballot. 
uh, as far as Best Picture is concerned. I'm sure it also uh, talks about these uh, short lists and also like things like how the Foreign Films uh, Committee uh, get to add films to the short list um, that they feel deserve to be uh, considered a little bit more. Uh, I believe three films are always added to that list. And then we're then uh, narrowed down to the five nominations. So is there anything in particular that you guys would like to see changed in regards to how the process currently works? Personally, I would like to go back to just 10 straight films for Best Picture. I don't like five anymore because I thought they I think that there are way too many good films a year um, for there to only be five. I I personally love those two years where it was 10, 09 and 2010. I did not mind it one bit. It was a great lineup, and the way that the films were selected also gave you a wider range. Right. You got stuff like Amour and A Serious Man, Toy Story 3, or I'm sorry, not Amour, that was in the new process. Uh, you had, uh, even though The Blind Side got in under that, you just had more of a mix. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I'm also conflicted as to how I feel about the preferential ballot when it comes to choosing the nominee, I'm not sure when you have more than five because you don't want to split votes, how else you could do it. But I'm not sure I like the idea of the film that just gets lots of twos and threes and fours being the winner over a film that a lot of people love. You know, um, I would also say that I think we should I don't know why we still only have three nominees in the category for best makeup. I've been championing this every year since I've been following the Oscars. There are always more than three films that feature in excellent exemplary use of makeup, be it in obvious ways, but also in subtle ways. You have subtle makeup make the shortlist. You have subtle makeup get nominated now, like the young Victoria. I don't know why they won't just expand it, like every other category, to five. Well, I mean, let's look at animated feature as the example. It used to be that it was just based on a, sum- a submission of films, and there needed to be a certain amount of films that had to be proposed in order for there to possibly be more than the three uh, nominees over to five. Um Obviously, with makeup, there's no shortage on films that utilize makeup. So, yeah, I don't understand that process either. You know, one thing I would like to see added, and this might be a little much, but it's something that may pay off in the long run, is that there's some voters who don't even watch the movies and they just check off whatever name or film they want. I think in the future, if they want to sort of crack down on it, maybe have voters prove that they saw every nominee in a category to be able to vote on it. So, like, if you're voting for Best Actor last year and you've seen everything except Trumbo, well, then you don't vote in that category. You need to prove that you saw all five nominees and you considered everything before you cast your vote. I think that would be... how I think the tedious way of, quote-unquote, proving something would probably just dissuade people from voting in general. But then this way you actually get what people decide is the winner. You're not just picking your favorites. You consider all the choices, and you go out of the five. I like. But this with one a the preferential best. ballot, you can usually just put the one that you didn't see at like one, at like the bottom, or abstain mm-hmm. from that from that bottom choice. I, well, I could be wrong about that. That's how um, I know OFCS does it. So hmm. Inter- interesting. Uh, but for for me, I'm I'm interested to see what BAFTA does because they. Uh, created that rule where nominees now have to have a certain amount of diversity 
um, in casting and behind the camera in order to be nominated. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because that would really create the need for more diverse... Um, if you don't want to have a diverse cast, you have to have diverse directors or screenwriters or people behind the camera, which I always say is the hardest way to get diversity. It's really easy to cast somebody and be like, oh, look, we're being diverse. It's it's the hard, walking the walk is putting somebody behind the camera. So I'd be interested to see that expand out more. But then that just leads to discussion about Oscar so white and who wants to get into that. So, well, I will just say this in regards to that. My only criticism with this new ruling uh, for BAFTA is that how expansive behind the camera does it actually get? Like, can this be a key grip? Can this be the sound guy? Can this be... Because I, I, I say this mostly because depending on how expansive you allow for this ruling to get, uh, I don't see how many films could really be possibly disqualified. And I'm not being ignorant or anything like that. I'm just saying there's hundreds of people that work on a film. You're telling me there's not one member on that works on a film behind the camera that you know what i mean it's just i don't know maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm not viewing it through the right lens but that would be my uh my only thing i'll say on that well and also i I will say bafta is only doing that in its british film and british director categories um oh Hmm. they're not doing it in every category either um but but still, it would be interesting if the Oscars did that, where they would apply those rules and would they do it in every category? Mm-hmm. Like how, uh, I, I'm not quite sure how it would be implemented. It, it is interesting to consider, though. Yeah. Like how far down category-wise it's going to go. Here's an interesting question from uh, K. Bailey Java 2. Which scenario would you have preferred uh, due to Viola Davis's category placement this year? Would you have preferred that Viola Davis won Best Actress and Michelle Williams possibly won the Oscar for Manchester by the Sea? Or are you okay with Natalie Portman uh, receiving Oscar number two or Emma Stone with Viola winning one in supporting? I think it would have been so historic to see a woman of color win a lead actress Oscar. It'll be great that Viola finally wins an Oscar, but there is nothing historic about another uh, African-American woman winning a supporting actress Oscar. I mean, it, that has, there's a long history of that, and it's cool that she'll finally win, but it would have been so neat to see her take lead actress, particularly if Denzel is also going to take lead actor. So for only the second time ever, can you say that both lead actor and actress go to people of color. Um, And it was also involving Denzel last time. It was also involving Denzel. You know, I'm glad she's winning, but it's, I honestly think I haven't seen Fences yet. I think, but from what I've heard, I think she could have taken it had she gone lead too. Yeah. It's a borderline It's a lead performance. That's what kind of makes me want to hit my head against a wall when it shows up as supporting. It's supporting because it's easier to get her a win. And she's in practically every scene of the movie, aside from maybe a handful. She's in every scene, whether it's, you know, reacting to a story or actually having, you know, a moment to to talk. She's permeates that house 
as much as Denzel Washington's character does. So for me, seeing that and supporting, I'm just, it goes back. I, I'm not one to shout category fraud, but it is going back and setting all those horrible precedents that she should be in lead. If that's not a lead performance, I don't know what is. I must not know. Because a lot of people have said, oh, well, it's supporting because she's not in every scene. She's not the... I I guess the argument that most people make when they say she's not lead is that um, you don't nominate the one woman of the movie lead just because she's the one woman. And I would say, well, in this case you're wrong on all counts. It's a lead performance, damn it. That's what it is. I can't comment since I've seen one scene, but in the one scene that I did see, even though she was off in the background for a lot of it, she still had a lot of presence yeah. there. So I'll be able to fully evaluate when I see the film in whole later this week. But uh, in terms of Viola winning, look, it's going to be great to see her get that Oscar and supporting. It would have been fantastic to see her lead. So... And then, what was the other part of the question about Natalie Portman and Emma Stone? Oh, um, or would you rather see what we're getting now? Uh, other than, I mean, it sounds like we all prefer Viola Davis uh, winning Best Actress uh, instead of Best Supporting Actress in this given sh- uh, instance. And because of her winning Best Actress, that also means Michelle Williams would probably be winning for Manchester by the Sea, although that's not guaranteed. That's what many people are assuming. Sure. So it's, a, it's just a matter of which scenario... Uh, of the two here, would you have preferred over the other? Um, personally, I think Michelle Williams is going to be back to the dance, and I think she's going to get her Oscar someday. There's no question oh, yeah. about she, it. She has her day coming soon. Yep. Her and Amy Adams will have their and day. you know what? If Viola... I shouldn't even say if. It's like a when Viola wins supporting actress. And if Emma Stone wins lead actress, which seems uh, fairly likely, we'll have a reunion of the help. <laughs> All right, moving on to uh, another question here from Film Guy Six One Nine. What's one performance that you know, you know, has absolutely no chance of getting nominated, but you still would love to see it get in? Kristen, let's start with you. Oh God. Um. So we just want the nomination. It doesn't have to be the win, right? <laughs> yep. Just get nominated. Um. It's not going to get nominated, but I would love to have seen Nocturnal Animals. Um. In like pet picture director i would have loved to see it in everything because it's my favorite movie of the year um and i think we'll be lucky to get it in the categories it ends up in well so i have trouble choosing one but i can tell you what category they're all from it's interesting to me that people talk about supporting actor being a wasteland this year i will admit as far as films that are actually in contention here for the oscar the the field may be thin but my top five for supporting actor is full of things I'd love to see in. So I will just say, um, I suspect you're going to say one of them. So I'm going to hold off on him, but I wish both males in the witch were getting some coverage. Both Harvey Scrimshaw and Ralph Innocent were fantastic in the witch. And then I'm also going to say John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane because he's extraordinary. Yeah. You never quite know what's going on with him till the end. It was a transformative performance by Goodman. And there's one more that if you guys don't say, I will absolutely bring up. Yeah, so I've talked a lot on the show about how I love the cast of Indignation. I think they should all be in there. And uh, Alden Ehrenreich and Hale Caesar should be in there. But one that I haven't mentioned so much is actually my current winner for Best Actress, 
and I know she's not going to get nominated, but I'd love to see it happen anyway. And that is Sally Field in Hello, My Name is Doris. Oh, she's great She's in that. my personal top five. Not a great movie, but she is so committed to that role, like she is all the time. She is one of our finest actresses, in my opinion. And I just love what she brings to it. It's something so different for her. She has uh, two wins and three nominations in the past. And this is just something so new, so fun. She gets to play with a lot of different ranges here. And I'd love to see it happen, even though I know it probably won't. Um, for me, ever since the preferential ballot was brought back and the category has been expanded, um, we have not seen a best animated feature contend in best picture, which I don't suspect will probably ever happen again underneath these new rules. So with that said, I would love to see Zootopia make it into best picture. Not gonna happen. I thought we were just talking about performances. Oh, oh, performances? Uh, no, no, no. Um, I think this was open to pretty much anything here. But if, if we want to mention a performance really quick, I will say uh, Ray Fiennes in A Bigger Splash for Best Supporting that Actor. That was gonna be mine for ah, my ha, ha. other Supporting Actor one. Hey, great yeah. minds think alike. He was in that and the fantastic cameo in Hail Caesar. Oh, he was so funny in yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Ray Fiennes is always on fire. I mean, he's he's amazing in everything that he's in. So okay, well. If we're talking about things that have no shot anywhere, then I will also throw in, I think Eye in the Sky, it, it was better edited than the majority of films this year and better edited than the majority of films actually contending for that category. Yep. Uh, I, the Witch for production design. Um, OJ Made in America for editing. That could actually happen. Kind of like a hoop dream scenario. It could. Yeah, a very big could. Uh, yes, but it could. I would say pretty much my entire personal sound mixing lineup will not get in, and I think they should. As cheesy as a movie as it is, the sound design in Don't Breathe is fantastic, uh, as yes. is the sound in High Rise, as is the sound in The Witch and Green Room. And I don't think any of them even have a chance, but they ought to be considered. Um, the Little Prince in original score, not a film I was very high on overall, but that is easily going to be my original score winner, um, with the exception of maybe Swiss Army Man, um, once I see it in the context of the film, maybe butting in there. Little Prince's score work is phenomenal, and it won't have a chance. So I'll throw those in there too. Last question. J.R. Parham asks us, what is a category you would like to see added to the Oscars and in return, which category would you take away? So you have to take away something in order to add something. Uh, I would take away documentary short subject. And what would you add? I would. I think you and I are both going to say the same thing. We've discussed this off air before. I would absolutely add stunt coordination. You know, SAG has a stunt category on two or three separate occasions – uh, the Academy has gone through a process of considering whether or not to add a stunt coordination category and most recently, I think in 2005, and it didn't happen. But there are, particularly with the visual effects category, being more focused on best digital effects and best CGI as opposed to practical uh, stunt work, I think this is an area that really deserves to be acknowledged. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go old school for mine. Um, if anybody remembers back in the day when they used to have, um, what was it? They had the music. It wasn't best original song, but then they used to have like best 
best use of music in a movie where you could use like regular material that they just utilized. Does anybody else remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Purple Prince run one for Purple Rain in that category. Yeah, I would love to see that come back because often with original songs, you see a lot of debate in terms of what is allowed in, whether because you can't have it borrow from anything that's like pre-recorded. Um, so I would love to see a return to allowing stuff that, you know, just has good music and they implement it in in a uh, unique way. Um, it's been, I think, several years since they've had that category, but they did have a category. So it'd be great to see that come back. And in exchange, I always get sound mixing and sound editing confused. I don't know what the distinction is, and I don't care. So we could just get rid of one of those. You and I are going to talk about that off air, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big tech guy, and that, that pains me to hear someone say that. Somebody's tried, I've had, I've had people try to explain it to me before. Just combine it into one, and it's just, I don't think anybody is going to notice. Thank you, because yeah, that goes sound into mine. Work. I'm going to work backwards here and say that the category I would get rid of is one of the sounds. Because I, like a lot of average movie-going public, does not understand the difference between the two. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but I'm not a film major, so that's... You don't, you don't even need to be a film major. It's very, very simple. One of them is the creation of sounds. The other one is the volume of sounds. Well, it's the volume. It's, it's, how, they, it's how they mix all the levels together. You know, so uh, the best way I could uh, think of to describe this would be you know that scene in slumdog millionaire when the two boys are being chased by the um uh the the, the crowd of uh people and then their mother gets killed spoiler alert yeah okay you know when yeah, the sound alert from eight years ago yeah you know when the sound completely drops out in that scene a little bit and it, you just hear like this atmospheric uh kind of like a swooshing kind of a sound and only certain sound effects are like um emphasized like when she gets cracked in the face by that guy's yeah. stick. That's sound mixing, you know, playing around with the levels of the sound. But sound editing is the actual physical sound of um, of her getting hit in the face with that uh, stick at that one point. Mike, you don't record most of the sound effects you hear in a movie on set. Almost none of them do you actually record on right, set. Right, isn't that like the Foley artist? Right, and so, exactly. Sound editing honors the Foley guys primarily. The guys who create everything. So, you know, like, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, um, they're, they're fire, the guns they fired on set didn't sound like people wanted them to sound like when they originally screened the film. So they recorded all kinds of new sound effects. You think they just, I mean, do you think somebody's skull actually blew up and that? Of course not. Right. <laughs> so it took a lot of work to do that. And then it took Kevin O'Connell, you know, balancing the levels together so you could hear the dialogue of, uh, Andrew Garfield and Vince Vaughn discussing things in the battlefield while also having, you know, the dirt crashing down around them, creating a very immersive experience with those sound effects. They're two very different fields. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me just say, I mean, I don't want to take away from the artists who do this. Like, it's really its own thing that I know is way out of my league here. But just for the purposes of this discussion, if we're going to take something away it just made sense to take one of the sounds but well, now do you know the distinction it. which of those sounds would you take away well i think he would do the he would do the bafta route and combine them into just sound right just for the purpose of, the, of this discussion let me make that clear uh, i would say mixing to take out because editing just sounded interesting and in how the foley artist does 
this or that. It's a little more creative. But again, if you're going to do it, you have to do what BAFTA does and just combine them into one. And it's what they did. Right, that's what I was suggesting I here. That. So it, instead of sound editing, it would be best sound. But going back to what the question was, what would I add if I take one away? I would like to see a public relations category, like best film publicity or something like that. Oh. The Academy has a public relations branch. And this is probably the communications major in me or the public relations employee, but uh, I would really like to see them honor that in some way. Um, huh, you know, you guys got me like really thinking now about which category I would take away. Um, I would have to probably take away documentary sorts, short subject as well, because out of all of the different ones, um, I feel that it probably is the most inconsequential. Um, Oh man, but it but it pains me to even like say that. Um, but yeah, let's just take that away in its place. Well, what if you combined I would... all of the uh, the animated and live action shorts into one short film category? Um, you know what? <laughs> then we just freed up uh, two extra uh, categories at the Oscars. Now, uh, for the sake of argument here, I would take away the documentary one, and in its place, I would actually like to include um, casting directors. So best casting. I think casting directors need to be uh, honored and praised for the work that they do in getting not just the stars, but also extras, background bits, small speaking parts, all of these people together, I feel. And that is a way um, how the SAG Ensemble Award could also uh, play a, another influential key role into the race all year. I think it would make things very, very interesting. That's a good one. They just honored Lynn Stallmaster at the Governor's Awards this year. Yep. And if they hadn't done that, he would never win an Oscar. So, so yeah, that was going to be my choice before I thought of public relations. All right. Well, with that said, uh, let's move over into some trailer discussions here. Uh, the first one is uh, from director James Gray, which uh, everyone here see The Immigrant? Yes. 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 The Immigrant is fantastic. Yeah. He did, he's a great director. Did that to lovers. Um, we own the he's, night. Well... Withstanding, uh, he is a really fantastic director, though overall. And I actually did have the privilege of seeing this film at the New York Film Festival. We, but we got the first official uh, trailer for *The Lost City of Z*. There's a major exploration afoot. Terrible disease, murderous savages. The journey may well mean your life. If we may find a city where one was considered impossible to exist. It may well write a whole new chapter in human history. You going up river, are you? Ain't nobody comes back from up there. Your soul will never be quiet until you find this place. We must turn back. There is no turning back. It is your destiny. So I'm going to refrain from my own thoughts on this one, seeing as how I've seen the film and my thoughts can be read on the website right now. So uh, with that said, what do you guys think of that? It reminds me of Silence. Which you haven't seen. <laughs> no, I mean, just the trailer for Silence. I got you. Yeah. Just like a lot of running in like a foreign land, two guys together exploring. You know, does that make sense? Uh, sure. I got you. It just, I, I didn't really get a whole sense of what the movie is. It just seemed like a quick little promo. This was a quick trailer. It was only like a minute and a half. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm sure it'll be a good movie. I'll see it in April and be able to say more then. This didn't really give me a huge sense of what it was. I can tell you right now, it's very um, a geary wrath of God sort of uh, sort of a vibe, or a, like Apocalypse Now ish in terms of you know getting lost in the jungle and the madness that it inflicts upon you and what it does to your psyche. Um, and I also think it features uh, Charlie Hunnam's best performance, which isn't saying much. But <laughs> uh, I haven't read the book, so but I know that the book is considered really good. So maybe I'll get to it. But I mean, the trailer looks it looks beautiful, um, considering that James Gray did The Immigrant, which bodes well. But yeah, there's not a whole lot to go off of. It's not mentioning that it's did it mention that it's based on the book in the trailer. I don't, uh, I don't think it I does. I don't think so. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's also based on true story. Yeah, they're, I, I'm finding it intriguing that they're saying it's based on a true story and not based on the, the best-selling novel of the true story, which leads me to believe that they might be taking liberties with the source material. I don't know. Um, the whole concept of, based on what I know, um, a lost tribe and... Uh, I think talks of like cannibalism and stuff like that. Um, you know, we've seen similar movies. I find Charlie Hunnam to be insufferable. Um, he's had one good role in his life and it was on television and that's about it. Um, and his accent always seems like it's a American trying to be British, but that's actually how he sounds. Um, so go figure. He is British. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's so weird. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but overall, I mean, the trailer's okay. Um, I'm, I'll probably end up going to see it. Um, and we also, this is the one with Robert Pattinson, right? It is. He's not in the trailer at all. I know. Which it's is so weird. interesting. So yeah, there was a lot of things like, I'm like, I know this movie, but this trailer is telling me some things about the movie that I wouldn't expect it to tell me at all. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait. But I've heard very mixed receptions from people who have seen this. It looks really pretty. Yes, I mean, the cinematography is fantastic. The production design and costumes are also exemplary. Um, you know, it. I was surprised when the reviews came out of New York that they generally seemed pretty solid because it had. What, Paramount had it for a while and dumped it, right? And then it was just kind of floating around till Amazon took it. Is that correct, Matt? Basically. So. It doesn't sound like it's bad. I don't. I don't think because of that early release date, it's going to have much Oscar potential. But I, I'm certainly intrigued. I mean, it's an interesting period in history. I like historical films. So, as I know, you're avoiding your thoughts. But as I recall, you thought it was good. Seven out of ten. Yeah. I. I don't predict much except maybe. It hangs on for a couple tech nominations this time next year, but. I want to check it out for sure. All right. Sounds good to me. And now we're going to move over to uh, a trailer that I, I felt like we had done last week, but I guess we didn't. And um, I guess we're going to do it this week or maybe just missed the cutoff. Not sure. Either way, Denny Villeneuve, a director that I personally am very, very fond of lately because I feel that every project he is doing is very interesting. Uh, whether you like it or not, you can't deny that it is at least interesting. And this one is certainly his most interesting yet. It is the long-awaited sequel to the classic 1980s sci-fi film Blade Runner, 
with Ridley Scott executive producing, starring once again Harrison Ford, and now this time Ryan Gosling. This here is the trailer for Blade Runner 2049. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. But if they're a benefit, it's not my problem. in this film and not say to yourself holy shit like deacons come on it's very orange and blue i mean it, <laughs> it is visually stunning yeah i mean it, it does kind of remind me of his work in skyfall that i'm gonna pretend he didn't lose for but i mean honestly whether or not he wins no matter how deserving he is, and as I've said many times, he is incredibly overdue and deserving, the film itself needs to be good, too, to get that Oscar. I mean, at the end of the day, these days, you don't even win tech categories unless your film's pretty well-liked. So, I really want it to happen. I need to see more of the film to see if it looks like it could be a contender overall. But on paper, if it is a well-received sci-fi... It could very easily fall into that um, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 cinematography uh, winner trend of the visual effects winner and cinematography winner. So I'm intrigued. Kind of reminds me of Mad Max visually, and we all yes. saw how that worked out. I, I think this is next year's Mad Max Fury Road. It's the film that I think is going to do very well critically. I think fanboys are going to go nuts over it. And I think it's uh, everyone's going to say it's not an Oscar contender until surprisingly it keeps just popping up. So I was going to bring up a Mad Max comparison in a different way because everybody brace yourselves. You ready? You all ready for this? I'm I'm about to say fuck you to you, aren't I? I've never seen Blade Runner. Uh, Me neither. Me neither. That's fine. That's okay. I'll let let that one slide a little bit. Uh, Because, I mean, it's one of those movies that came out before I was born and sci-fi is not my thing. I'm sure it's a very good movie. It's just not anything that... particularly interested me so i just really never got around to it i'm sure i'll see it before this one comes out and the same thing happened with mad max last year i watched the original trilogy just because fury road was opening the original trilogy whatever i love fury road for what it was it was just a great chase and terrific movie george miller did an amazing job so i can't really say anything about this trailer because i don't know 
anything about Blade Runner. I don't know anything about what this is going to be. I'm sure it'll be very good visually. I'm not a huge Denny Villeneuve fan. I only liked Prisoners and Elements of Arrival. So it could really go either way for me. I'm sure people will love it regardless. So that's my take. Yeah, you pretty much took my answer. <laughs> pretty much wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Blade Runner. The trailer looks beautiful. Ryan Gosling looks beautiful. Um, <laughs> Harrison Ford's there, um, but I have I have no um, basis for comparison. I because I haven't seen the original, and yeah, uh, Villeneuve and I are not friends. Um, I I think Prisoners is a good movie, but since then um, I still haven't forgiven him for Sicario, which I'm the one oh. the one who says I hate that movie um, with a fiery passion. So. Yeah, I, I'll probably I have the original on my um, 2017 film challenge for this for next year. So I hope to get to it before the original comes out or the remake comes out. But make maybe sure it'll... you both watch the director's cut. Of the oh original. yeah, I knew that. No, 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 no. The final, the final cut, cut. The final yeah. cut. Keep yeah. keep in mind, I saw Mad Max Fury Road, and I still have never seen any of the previous films. Don't bother. <laughs> I feel very strongly this is going to fall into a similar category where you probably will not have to have seen it beforehand, but I think it is important to at least appreciate some of the elements, uh, some of which are referenced in this trailer that are going to call back to the first film. So I think that that's uh, very important. And I I mean, if anything, just listen to it for Vangelis' score. Oh my God, that score is amazing. It's also, it's a really, in, I mean, it is a very morally gray film. It's it's a neo-noir. Um, and I think it'll be interesting this time around. Ryan Gosling kind of seems like a very morally ambiguous character, which I'm looking forward to just as pretty much everybody in the original film was. So it it's a very complex sci-fi story. If it's anything like that, I think it has the potential to be very interesting and very, very good. You know what I must say, though, from the trailer, when Ryan Gosling walks into this building and walks up to a piano and presses one of the keys, I was so ready for him to start singing City of Stars. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. Final trailer. It was a Christmas present from Ridley Scott. It is the sequel to Prometheus and another film in his list of prequel films to the original Alien. This here is called Alien Covenant. <laughs> Sarah's please open up. I can't do this with an infection. sure about this captain how do you mean we don't know what the fuck's out there
This was his present? Well, to fans of the series, I, I would assume so. Well, I hope he brought a gift receipt for me. Well, are you a fan of the Alien series? I like the original very much, and even though he didn't do Aliens, the James Cameron film, I love that very much. I even liked the elements of Prometheus. But this didn't do it for you. This just looks like more of the same, and that's not to say mm. it's bad, mm-hmm. but just everything from the cinematography to the Michael Fassbender style of robot acting that he has going on here, just nothing looks new or interesting. It's just more of the same. He has this cinematography. That's the one thing that stood out here. That's, I almost want to say it's like dull but crisp. Does that make sense? It's gunmetal gray. I think someone described it. Yeah. I think my guess is they are trying to make it very clear for fans of the franchise who didn't feel that Prometheus was enough of a quote-unquote alien film that this is very much an alien film. I agree. And I, I, I think it will probably be more unique and more of its own film than this trailer is letting on because there's clearly i mean there's already some interesting stuff with we know michael fassbender is playing two androids in this um and somehow those characters are going to interact with the characters in the previous film because we know numi's in this and I assume they are going to answer some questions from Prometheus. So my guess is this was kind of a just as The Force Awakens played it safe to get fans back on board. This is probably a safe trailer emphasizing the horror before we get more interesting aspects of the plot when the film is actually released. Kristen, did you hear that? There's going to be two Michael Fassbenders. If it was four years ago, I'd be really happy. Um, what? I thought you were still a Fast no, fan. No, I'm not a. Fa- I'm not as big a Fasty fan girl as I once was. I've I've moved on. I've moved up. Um, oh. But I I've seen. I I love the first Alien. I think it's great. Aliens is good. Um, I saw Prometheus opening day, and I prefer to have gotten my money back. Um, Ooh, so harsh. the the trailer for this is is good. The trailer for Prometheus was good. Um, yeah. So I did like the the Nature Boy cover, although I thought we were going to get like some sort of Moulin Rouge retread for a second. Um, oh, I just wanted to rewatch Moulin Rouge. Exactly. I was, was like, over. yes, stop yes. making me think of a better movie already, Ridley. Um, and I, I tend to be a Ridley Scott apologist, depending on the movie. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I'll, I'll probably go see this. Um, the premise... It seemed like they were really up in the gore factor here. Um, I think we're going to get some more questionable depictions of gender and sexuality, much like with the first film. Uh, Catherine Waterston looks good. She's kind of in full-on like Sigourney Weaver mode. But my expectations are very tempered. <laughs> you know what? Ridley Scott is a good director. But why does he keep going back to this world aside from the money? Does it really interest him that I much? assume it does. Or is he just getting he, a nice payday? So here's it? the deal. There, there is a lot of history and there is a lot of lore to this, but you have to actually be a really diehard fan, as much as probably Ridley is, to appreciate it. Because there is so much about the world of Alien that even me, who has seen the films a bunch of times... I don't even know all of its particulars uh, at this point in my life. It, there's a lot to it. Well, and it always seems like Ridley Scott really subscribes to that whole one for you, one for me paradigm in directing movies. 
Um, so, I mean, I think that the, the last movie did really good business. They're going to want a sequel. Um, you know, and even when, even when he does get an opportunity to make a movie that he wants, it ends up getting, you know, taken away from him, which is why the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is a far better movie than what we ended up with. Um, yeah. so I don't know. I, I think he's trying to play blockbuster mixed with, I want to tell a story that I want to tell, you know, he's trying to play ball, but I don't know. Prometheus still just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. And come on, we're gonna, we're, we're ixnaying on the blonde Fassie. I love that part of the, the last movie. He <laughs> looked- oh, blonde Fassie's still here. They just, they're hiding him. I'm, I'm hoping, He's... I'm hoping because I loved when he looked like he was auditioning for The Sound of Music. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> People got to remember that Ridley Scott is um, a, a studio director for hire with some artistic sensibilities. He's not somebody that has, in my opinion, a very distinct and singular vision um, and style that goes through every single one of his films. I love looking at his filmography and seeing stuff like A Good Year and Thelma and Louise. Because that just seems like so out of character, aside from the rest of the stuff, like Exodus, uh, Prometheus, Robin Hood. Oh, God, Robin Hood. He he has eclectic taste. And I think Matt is right in that he is kind of the director for hire, at least as far as there isn't like a certain type of Ridley Scott film. But I think Matt would also say that even if he gets a bad script, which he sometimes does, he is an extremely gifted director and does the best he can to elevate the material no matter what he works with. Agreed, and it doesn't always work. But on an artistic level, the amount of detail he brings to um, his films on a technical level, from production design to costumes, cinematography, he always nails this. The, the issue is always his screenplays. Always. Like last year, he got super lucky with the Martian screenplay from Drew Goddard being what it was. Um, a film like Exodus, not so lucky. So there and and he seems like the type of director that he latches on to ideas in the screenplay that he finds interesting. And that goes back to that uh, eclectic taste that he has. And he finds that stuff very interesting. But sometimes because there isn't enough meat in that screenplay to convey that, he ends up giving us um, what one might call surface level movies that don't actually have the required depth and detail that his more technical uh, influence on the movie has. He's such an interesting guy, by the way. Can we just have a moment to appreciate, like, you know, he paints all of his own storyboards. He's a gifted painter, too. I just want to give a little shout-out to Ridley, because when he's on, he's on, and I do trust him on this. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a fascinating guy. I think this one, I think this can turn out to be good, and there is a world where it ends up being far better than Prometheus. Um, I just think we aren't seeing everything, and I think that's good. There should be some mystery. Clearly, it goes, like, as, as I understand it, Fassbender is the villain more than the aliens this time around. And as best I can tell, everything on that planet is due to Michael Fassbender's machinations. So, you know, we clearly have new forms of creatures popping up. I, I'm, a, I'm a big alien fan, just to throw that out there. I, tremendous, Aliens, Aliens is a top 50 all-time movie for me. So that is where my uh, sci-fi love pops out. I think this is going to be good. At the very least, it looks scary as shit. You know, that shot of the 
the parasite entering the guy's ear, and then what we appear to have an alien erupting from someone's spinal column, as well as the completely gratuitous but terrifying scene in the shower. Um, I think I think we should give Ridley the benefit of the doubt here, because for however much Matt you may say about his lack of auteur characteristics, he's a very interesting guy. He's going to put a lot of work into creating a fascinating world here, and he does deeply care about this franchise. So, all right. Well, we look forward to it with anticipation to see if it's going to be um, something as good as Alien or if it's going to be The Counselor. Either hey, way. Hey, hey, uh, I go to hey, bat hey. for that movie, okay? No, no, you are you are so in the wrong on this nope. one. Uh, it, no. Going, I, hey, going to listen, bat for I gotta, that. I got to explain to you the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. You don't get to does, tell me that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I get, to, I get to defend that one. That's a keeper. That's a keeper. <sighs> We're talking off air, you and I. <laughs> That's, that's happening. With that said, Kristen, tell them where, where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I am always on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Michael? Twitter at Mike Movie. And Will? Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And I am at Next Best Picture, and you can find us on nextbestpicture.com. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, player fm we're pretty much everywhere for the most part leave us a review on itunes when you get a chance we really really appreciate it there's a lot of really interesting stuff to come in the next couple of weeks as far as wrapping up 2016 is concerned with some best of lists uh, some of our own personal awards should be quite a bit of fun thank you all once again for listening and we will see you all next time Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.